the way wine is traded in Canada is deeply rooted in prohibition days, and they're getting looked at differently right now. If you think of what happened this summer with restaurants, restaurants for the first time were able in Ontario were able to sell alcohol off premise. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Who doesn't enjoy drinking wine? But did you know that wine distribution business is very complicated, similar to cannabis or tobacco businesses? And if you are selling in Canada, especially in Ontario, there is a different complexity level as everything is so monopolized and government controlled. In today's episode, we have our guest, Nelson Abreu from 3050 Imports, who discusses the wine distribution businesses, nuances, and supply chain challenges. We also had a chance to touch on different contracting and system interaction requirements of the wine industry. Finally, we touched on the nuances associated with wine distribution businesses in Ontario and Canada. Let me introduce Nelson to you. Nelson Abreu has invested 17 of his professional career years in the wine business and is founder of 3050 Imports Incorporation, an Ontario wine agency dedicated to the marketing and sales of imported wines, and co-founder of winewire.ca, the first web portal in Ontario to offer consumers direct access to imported wines, usually only available at restaurants. Nelson is a West Diploma graduate and an elected member of the Wine Judges of Canada. In 2012, Nelson achieved first place and became grand champion of the Wine Tasting Challenge. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey Nelson, welcome to the show. Thanks Sam, good to be here. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus these days? Wow, yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the wine business for about 17 years now. Um, I started. time. Yeah, well, you know, you find what you find a groove and you go with it, right? I know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, 17 years in the wine business. Um, I started importing as an entrepreneur, and uh, have built my business since. Um, we we focus on bringing in wines from from all over the world, really, and we distribute them uh, within the province of Ontario. Uh, so we're a licensed agency. And uh, our specialty is to bring in wines and sell mainly our legacy businesses uh, is to restaurants or business to business. Uh, we also sell a lot to retail. We're selling mostly to retail these days in this, in this environment, in the COVID environment. And uh, we have a new and strong customer base, which we call corporate. Um, and we are, we are doing a lot of wine tastings with uh, corporate clients where uh, we actually entertain their clients virtually online with winemakers from overseas uh, gives them an opportunity to spend some casual time with their clients so gives them the opportunity to meet their clients friends and generate referrals during these online chats yeah. and uh, and stay top of mind with their clients which is really difficult to do in these days because we can't socialize like normal anymore yeah. we can't golf with our clients and we can't eat with them so 
really we've taken our product and, and the lifestyle that goes with it and we've brought it online to, to this type of platform that we're on right now. And uh, we've made a business case for it. And, and uh, we are finding ways to carve new paths in, during COVID right now by continuing to sell wine and, um, you know, the lifestyle that comes with it. That's amazing. So obviously, I want to dig deeper into a lot of those uh, things. And uh, in my experience, wine industry is very complex overall, uh, from the contract perspective, from the processes perspective. So it's going to be a fascinating conversation. But one of the questions that we always ask our guests, and that is going to be your perspective on growth. What does business growth mean to you, Nelson? Well, uh, business growth means taking on, like I said, we're, we're forging ahead in a difficult time because our legacy uh, customers have been shut down. Essentially, the, the entire hospitality industry has been closed. So uh, really expanding in retail, getting aggressive with be, having an online presence, growing through different means, like I mentioned, through corporate channels, increasing our retail presence in the retail system, being the LCBO stores, a lot of growth ahead. Okay, so let's talk about supply chain a bit. In terms of the supply chain, the wine industry is completely different. And as we were talking in the pre-show, the way you guys do the contracts is completely different. The way your vendor relationships are going to be completely different. The way your products are inventoried is going to be completely different. The kind of roles you have in your supply chain, the role that LCBO is going to play is going to be completely different. So from the wine distributor perspective, can you walk me through how the vendor relationships are going to work? What relationship LCBO is going to play and what relationship you as a distributor is going to play? Yeah, so the LCBO, um, as some of us might know, uh, it is a monopoly. Uh, it controls all liquor flow and sales through the entire province, okay? So any single purchase at any retail point, whether it's a government store, whether it's a brewery, whether it's a winery, uh, whether it's online, it's all LCBO sales, every single bottle. And what the LCBO does is it controls three functions in the process, okay? Very much uh, like the way it controls uh, cigarettes, tobacco, uh, the way it controls cannabis, the way it controls gasoline. Um, it's very, alcohol is very heavily taxed and that's why it's, it's an expensive product. It's, it's only food and it's not as expensive as it should be in other parts of the world. But the reason it is because government controls and generates a lot of revenue by controlling the importation and distribution of alcohol. Essentially what happens is they do fulfill all of the administration with suppliers around the world that are exporting their products to Ontario. Okay. That means cutting purchase orders and cutting payments back to the suppliers for the goods that they ship here. Okay. So all of the paperwork is arranged through the LCBO to the suppliers. Secondly, they control all of the transportation. So whatever way, shape or form that product arrives from the seller, the supplier seller to the warehouse in Ontario, that shipping was arranged by the monopoly, by the government. Okay. okay. And thirdly, it is warehoused by the government. So once it gets here, it is in a government, it is stored in a government warehouse until it leaves for the retail destination where the consumer can buy it or to the hands of the distributor who takes it to the consumer or restaurant, hotel, etc. So we don't work like other food products. Let's compare us to food, the food yeah. industry, because that's in my eyes, wine is just food and it's yeah. consumed with food. So yeah. 
uh, it's a consumable product in the same way. So if I import cheese, I can find my supplier, I can find my transporter, I can arrange my payment terms, I can negotiate my prices, I can find the best shipping rates, I can buy my own currency to pay my supplier, I have control of the entire process, and when it lands at my, my facility, I've got control over the, um, the storage of the goods. Well, in this scenario, everything I just said is out of my control. The only thing I do there is I negotiate the price of the product. That's it. Okay. So let's talk about your sales order and purchase order, right? So obviously you are acting as a sort of the, the agent or the broker, right? And you are representing your, your vendors and you are trying to negotiate with the LCBO. But from the legal perspective, from the contract perspective, and also from the sales and purchase order perspective, how is your documentation look like? So let's say if I review your sales order and purchase order, what kind of line items it is going to have? And what kind of line items it is going to have when you are interacting with LCO? And what kind of line items it is going to have when you are interacting with your supplier? Can you touch on that? Sure. Yeah. So basically, the LCBO has issued forms for all of these processes. Yeah. And basically, we enter all the product information into their system and uh, into their ordering system. Uh, basically, that system generates codes for everything, purchase order numbers, item numbers, so on and so forth. And we basically take the information that our suppliers give us, we process it through the LCBO system that it, so that it attaches codes to, to all of the items. And we use their forms to generate purchase orders. So we input all the information into the LCBO system, but the forms that the actual supplier or producer receives are on the LCBO's letterhead, not our letterhead. So essentially we're populating all the information and they are creating all the forms. We don't get involved in the customs process, okay? Yeah. Because they control all of that. Right, so your role here, it seems like that you are not maintaining any of your inventory. So you don't have any warehouses. So your role, I mean, you almost become a service agency because you are not even touching the inventory. The only thing really you are doing is you are booking a transaction and you are processing it. And I don't know even if you have a sales order on your paper, right? So let's say if you mm -hmm. were to implement an ERP system, you are not going to have any sort of order or the purchase order because you are cutting this on the LCBO system. So the only thing you need is the file that you need to upload on the LCBO and everything is really taken care by the LCBO. The only thing you really need to do is you need to maintain the customer information that customers are buying from you. But end of the day, they are going to place the order in LCBO system. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some little tweaking to, to you know to make to your comment, but that, that's pretty much it, Sam. The you have to realize that this is a government controlled industry. It is very very rigidly structured. Okay, so we the only time that we actually get the product in our hands is when we're delivering it to our customer. Okay, so we have to buy it from the warehouse, and we do invoice the customer for the product, and that's the only transportation we do. Our transportation is all local and regional. Okay, it doesn't move across borders. It's strictly from warehouse to end user or restaurant, which is a reseller, a business client. Okay. So basically once it lands in the LCBO's warehouse, then you are buying. So you are cutting a purchase order maybe to LCBO and then they are handing over that wine to you. Then you are sending it to your customers, right? Because you are sending the invoice to your customers and you are getting paid by them. 
Exactly. Yeah, but but I wouldn't say that we're cutting a purchase order to to the LCBO. That stock is assigned to us in their warehouse, so nobody else has access to it. Okay. Um, you can say that it is our property, but we don't own it until we buy it. And what is okay. the process of buying? And that's where I'm not sure if I mm. followed everything. Yeah. So we don't have to send in a purchase order. We just okay. have to create a customer order in the LCBO system, basically. So the purchase order, the term that we use for purchase order is something that is issued to the vendor that is producing the product. Okay. What we're doing is we're creating an order in their system for our customer so that they know where that product is destined to. Because obviously there are huge tax implementations here. The large part of our business is business to business. It's to restaurants and hotels, okay? And yeah. they are reselling the product. So when we receive it, it's been we're, we're paying sales taxes on it. When we sell it to our customer, okay, they're paying sales tax on it. And then when they sell it to their final customer who's sitting in their restaurant dining, they're yeah. they're selling it at at, a, at an increased cost, and they're. Uh, generating sales taxes for the government. So the reason that the government wants to know who we're selling it to is so that they can track all these businesses' purchase and make sure that they are collecting all of the taxes. So if they know how much alcohol they purchased, then there's no way that that business would be able to circumvent sales taxes. Yeah, it makes complete sense why they are tracking. That's um, I'm definitely following that. So let's talk about, you know, let's say if you get an order from your customer and your customers are placing an order with you, right? You need to have the sense of the inventory that you have stored with the LCBO. So at any given point of time, how do you verify what kind of inventory do you have in with LCBO? Is that going to be in the LCBO system as well? Or do you maintain that in your system? Yeah. So that information is available to the, uh, through the LCBO system. Okay. And they generate reports for us that we can go in and man, you know, manually go through the system and assess our inventory situation. But yep. they also do issue reports to us about daily that show us our inventory levels, how far things are or where things are at that we've ordered from overseas and, and what the ETAs on them are so that we can track movement of product as well. So it's really up to each individual business owner whether they want to create a system that sort of mirrors the LCBO system and tracks information and is able to, you know, uh, uh, coordinate all of their company's activities or whether they just want to use a simple, call it like a QuickBooks, uh, most people that start out new in the business uh, as single owner operators usually start out with QuickBooks and just look after their own invoicing. And then at some point they grow up and they expand their business and, and they expand their sales force. And then they get into more complex systems that will track, that will do their own kind of forecasting onto uh, how much lead time do we need? What are our sell-through on certain items? And we'll be able to track all that information. Yeah, interesting. So when you work with these international suppliers, do you have any specific requirements in those countries as well? Or is it fairly straightforward? LCBO is going to take care of all of that when they are working with these suppliers and when you are cutting the purchase order. Now, this would be called purchase order, I guess, right? <laughs> in this yeah. particular case. Yeah. <laughs> because this exactly. is a real vendor. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's kind of a disjointed system when you when you <laughs> compare it to a, a a normal system where goods flow freely and and businesses uh, really really dial down and have a lot more control over the the entire process. Yeah, like our discussions with our suppliers are about allocations that we need from them on an annual basis to service the market and the growth that we're expecting in the market. That's as far as it gets. But all of the systems interaction is through the LCBO. We essentially feed their system with our requirements and and we just wait for that product to come in and we can monitor it through their system. Interesting. But I mean, uh, from the international perspective, since Canada is obviously super regulated when it comes to wine and some of the products that you mentioned, right? Some other countries are going to be similar in that regard so my assumption would be they would like to track who is importing or exporting so there are going to be some restrictions there as well when you are dealing with these international suppliers do you experience any of that or for you whether you buy from italy versus france it's all same yeah i mean it varies from producer to producer really uh, in terms of the laws there isn't a region in the world that doesn't export to ontario or to canada now a lot of suppliers, individual producers, because of the rigidity of our system, it is very rigid, okay? Um, you deal on their the government's pay, payment terms. You deal with their system and the way it is built to work here in Ontario. So we can't establish specific payment terms with each of our suppliers that would be a unique and appropriate situation agreement for that particular relationship. You're dealing with one system, one set of rules. Some producers and some regions, they don't find doing business in Ontario attractive because it's such a rigid system. It's a take it or leave it kind of market to be in for that reason, because of the rules and, and the fees associated with being in our system. Um, because in a government system, they offload most of their fees back onto vendors much like large retailers will do to uh, suppliers. So in the other side of the coin, a lot of people do want to be here because you're dealing with one purchasing power that buys for the entire population. So really, some producers find it really attractive to be here for that reason, and some of them find it to be quite frustrating to do business in Ontario, and they've tried it. And they don't like the terms. They don't like the way costs are pushed on them. And they decide not to be here. Okay. So when, let's say, if you are sourcing a supplier for LCBO, and now they are doing business with the supplier. So what are going to be your protection? Because obviously you invested your money in sourcing the supplier, creating mm. relationship with them. Can LCBO go ahead and do business with the supplier? for their own retail store? Is that possible or is that supplier always allocated to you? Every single supplier is represented by a unique agency. So relationships are exclusive in the market. Can they pry you free from a relationship? I mean, anything's possible. Does it happen? Probably, but it doesn't happen very often that I know of. So it's as likely for the LCBO to be able to pry business away from an agent who has developed demand for, the, for, for a specific brand in the marketplace, it's as likely as it is for one of my competitors to try to do that as well. 
So, yeah, it's possible. It's possible in any business, uh, in any business uh, uh, environment. Um, but uh, that comes down to your strength of your relationship with your with your supplier. Okay, interesting. And how is the LCBO process work? How difficult is it to get the license? Let's say if somebody is starting new in selling to LCBO, is it a very difficult process? Does it require a lot of fee? How is the process for acquiring a license to sell with LCBO? Yeah, so the license fee is $30. You you, you apply for it through the Alcohol and Gaming Commission. It's yep. very inexpensive. It's very easy to do. That's yes. not the that's not the difficult part. As long as you have a, a clean record in terms of criminal record, you should be able to get one. Um, same with applying for a restaurant license um, would be the same thing. The difference is is that depending on what channel you want to be in, if you want to sell products to the stores, you're going to have to attract brands with pretty big volumes to supply that retail system. You know, there's over 600 uh, LCBO stores in Ontario. So you're going to have to find suppliers that are willing to trust you to represent their brand. A, you're going to have to be able to get them into the system. And then B, you're going to be have to prove to them that you can keep them in their system because if you don't hit your numbers, you'll be out as fast as you got in. So to get a license is quite easy. To actually yep. get operating and into the system, it's extremely difficult. It takes a lot of investment time. It will take years of investment time. There really is no quick way to success unless you buy another business that's existing because they start your quantities very, very small and they train companies upward or they say like, okay, you've proven that you can move certain volumes. We'll increase your capacities to do business. So it's not uncommon for people to who start in this business to have two careers and do them as part times and then grow them. And then when when their wine business or their or their alcohol importing business grows to a point that they can make the leap, they do that. Interesting. So tell me why these businesses and you are supplying to other restaurants and businesses, why are they not buying directly from LCBO? Why are they buying from you? So there's two types of products. One yeah. type of product is the product is destined for the retail store, the retail yep. system. And that has to be, those opportunities have to be won by tenders. You know, you have to submit your products to their buying team, just like you would approach a big box retailer and you have to present it. You have to make a business case, a marketing plan, and then they decide to buy it. You, you, you ensure that you can, that you can sustain it. The other way is to import privately. And it's kind of where my company is founded and grown on. You start your business. You identify the brands that you think work in the market based on your experience and you grow those brands. And, uh, I, in this way, I'm not dealing with the, the, the buyer for the retail system, I'm dealing with independent or individual business owners or business groups that are purchasing. So I can start with a brand that was never here before. And in years, I can build that into a very recognizable brand because I take it from customer to customer and I increase the distribution of it. And I do that through the private distribution channel of the LCBO. Okay. And uh, how does the quality testing process work? So let's say if the supplier is already doing the business with the LCBO directly and they are the ones who are actually testing the product and if there are going to be any issues. So is LCBO directly communicating with the vendor? And what if uh, the vendor does not respond? Do you have to get into that process from the coordination perspective? Are you always going to be looped in the communication? Do you have an account manager from the LCBO perspective who is going to call you if there are going to be any issues with your vendor? 
tell me a little bit more about that process. Yeah, all of the above. Yes. Uh, basically, uh, the quality assurance lab tests everything in to, as yeah. it comes into the province for the first time. And after a year, they'll retest the product. And it's all based on CFIA standards, Canadian Food Inspection Agency standards. And uh, they are the only lab in the province that does this type of testing uh, because there's only really one importer, physical importer that they work for. So it's their division. They don't release any product, Sam, until it's actually tested. You know, so recalls are very few because everything gets tested and, you know, they don't release it until it passes on all levels, not just chemical analysis, but actual label analysis and everything. Right. So. It's an internal quality assurance control. And because they also control the warehousing and distribution of it, they don't let the product into the market until they give it the green light. So it's a food product. So the standards they're using are, are CFIA. They are national food standards that they comply by. So some of these international suppliers that are actually trying to sell in Canada, obviously they are not going to be aware of the processes that are prevalent in Canada. So is LCBO going to coach them in terms of what is required here, what they are supposed to be testing, what they are supposed to be supplying as part of the product? Do they supply any certifications when they try to sell their wine here? So, you know, every product produced around the world has its own testing. If I'm producing wine in France, I have a local authority. If I'm going to put the local designation onto the wine, then... They are. I'm going to have to get it tested before they'll authorize that their uh, name goes onto the bottle as an approved product, right? So yeah. there's all kinds of local, but the LCBO, even though products are tested global or, or locally everywhere around the world based on their own standards, the LCBO still has Canadian standards that these products have to clear. So there's a lot of discrepancy, yes. We are responsible to make sure that our suppliers understand the compliance process and what they have to go through and what it costs and what the costs are if the products don't comply because there are fees associated with repackaging. There are fees associated with returning product if it doesn't comply on a chemical level uh, or just or to have them destroyed if they don't comply. So really, the they give them the booklet. They give them the book. It says, OK, well. You're signing a contract that you want to do business with us. So here's what you need to know. And they can look at it and it'll it'll just be like, what? And then we'll have to physically, <laughs> we'll have to physically take them through all of those guidelines and digest it for them and say, this is what you have to be prepared for. So yeah, the, we do get involved. There is interaction directly with the supplier. It's black and white to the LCBO, um, but we're the ones who really make all of that technical jargon are realistic as to what passes, what doesn't, how do they interpret it compared to their own standards, so on and so forth. And that's where our expertise comes in as well. Yeah. So you play much bigger role, I would say, in the process, because what LCBO is really doing is they are simply creating the educational material for you and you are keeping up with that educational material. I'm pretty sure there are going to be updates with respect to quality uh, as they come across these scenarios and issues in the real world, there are going to be updates and I'm pretty sure they have some sort of briefing sessions for you so that you can be educated about these changes and the regulatory changes as well so that you can brief your suppliers. 100%, yeah. Okay, and uh, from the winery perspective, let's say, you know, if somebody's trying to export wine from Canada to other countries, is LCBO trying to control that as well? Is the process going to be similar there? 
or is it going to be different? Yeah, as far as the export is concerned, um, uh, the products are produced here. Anything that is sold here is considered an LCBO sale, whether it's made in this country or imported into the country. Anything that is traded in Ontario is considered an LCBO sale. So there is guidelines for people that produce alcohol here and export it. There are very strict uh, guidelines to which they have to like the product, whether you're buying it here or whether it's being exported, there are taxes that are applied to the product because it is an alcoholic product that producers cannot escape. And it's a cost of doing business for them. So when they quote the cost of the product overseas, they still have to accommodate for the local taxes that they have to pay to the government for producing it here. Okay, but the warehousing and inventory processes are going to be similar in case of exporting or the only thing they really need to worry about is going to be the taxes? That is a better question for an actual wine producer. I'm not up to speed on the intricacies, the details of the flow of product and how much of it they have control over, whether they get to assign, you know, figure out their own shipping freight lines and everything like that and their shipping terms, uh, yep. or whether that's also controlled through the government. I wouldn't be the guy that asked for that because of the side of the business that I that I see is importation and distribution, not export. Interesting. So from the perspective of LCBO, I think you mentioned that Ontario as the term, and I don't know if LCBO is really the national organization or provincial organization. So do they control these things at the province level or are there any regulations at the national level as well? Yeah, so uh, you probably never realized, but Canada is full of borders, uh, okay. uh, provincial borders, provincial borders. Yep. Every province you cross uh, has a different liquor board. So they okay. are provincial. Like in, the, in, in Quebec, it's the, uh, it's the SAQ. And uh, legally, you're not supposed to take alcohol across the border, even though there's no physical border. But you're not supposed to buy it in one province and take it to another province. That's a, another one of these archaic kind of outdated prohibition laws. And producers are not supposed to take orders from people that are out of province and ship them out of province. Now, that might happen, I'm guessing. But that is the way the systems are built up. Every single province has its own liquor jurisdiction with particular requirements and functions. The system in Quebec is very different from the one in Ontario. And the one in Manitoba is very different from the one in, in Ontario as well. So every province has a different way of seeing things and running their business to make it even more complicated. <laughs> so the supplier that you are working with, let's say if they are supplying in Ontario as well as in Quebec. So they will be working with another agent like you in Quebec to be able to supply these wines there. And they have to go through that provincial process again to be able to sell there, right? Yeah, they have to know. It's like selling to different countries for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my different goodness. forms, different fo <laughs> different forms, different languages, different rules, etc, etc. Yeah. All right, Nelson, I think this is it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thought by any chance? I would love for you to share with me your opinion on what I've just described to you as a government regulated industry as it applies to enterprise requirement planning systems and how you see it 
compared to the non-monopolized, the non-controlled free market world? What does it look like to you? Because I'm, well, I'm on one side of the fence and I can't see over the wall. <laughs> well, right now my head is spinning, to be honest, <laughs> just because of the complexity and also because of the nature of the industry. So I don't think the plain vanilla ERP system is going to work for your industry just because you are literally doing more of the contracting. You are not a traditional either food business or the e-commerce business, right? Your contracting is going to be very different. The way you interact with LCBO is going to be very different. I don't know how the larger distributors are managing their business. Obviously, they have to do their financials. They have to manage their processes. So they must have customized the ERP for your industry. There are customized ERP available for the wineries and also for the spirit industry uh, that have been built over the standard ERP systems that are available in the market. But for the most part, the whole business is going to be extremely different. Cool. Of course. So thank you so much for your time, Nelson. And uh, I think we are about close here. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Nelson or 3050 Imports, head over to 3050imports.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Aman Ilani from Sahol Cold Brew, who discusses the unique challenges and important metrics for a consumer brand and a food and beverage company. Also, the interview with Chris Granger, who discusses how his company, EECO, a large electrical distributor, needed to change the way they sold to their customers. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get out. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.